the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It just doesn't get any dumber than this. It happened a while ago in Dayton, but I just saw it on X. A guy named Roosevelt Rapley decided it would be a good idea to go to a Dollar General store, uh, pull out a gun and demand money from the clerk. Not the smartest thing to do, but the clerk pulled out a gun and shot him, and now Roosevelt Rapley's dead. But here's where the real stupidity comes in. Roosevelt's family is upset. His sister was willing to go on local TV in Dayton and say no clerk should ever bring a gun to work for safety. What level of stupidity does a human being have to reach before being willing to display that kind of stupidity in front of thousands of people? Or maybe it's not stupidity. Maybe she uh, smells some money in a lawsuit. Maybe she's been paying attention and has seen enough evidence to make her believe that she should get a jury to award her a few million dollars, which means she thinks uh, they could find 12 people stupid enough to agree with her. And the scary thing is that she might be right. We're living in a world where people built statues for George Floyd, you know. Uh, down in Monroe, Louisiana, a Dollar General clerk was charged with manslaughter after he shot an armed robber. The clerk said he had been robbed six times before. He was found not guilty, fortunately. But there was a prosecutor down there who thought the clerk should do jail time. That's the world we live in now. There were no charges filed against the guy in Dayton. But don't be surprised if the Rapley family finds a lawyer to see if they can rob Dollar General in a courtroom. When we come back, why should you care about the presidential election in Argentina? We'll have an expert on Latin America here to tell you why. And the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is going to Atlanta in 2025. Remember the Democrats' reaction when it was moved to Denver in 2021? They seem pretty quiet now. That they, have, that they were all proven wrong. Horace Cooper of Project 21 will be here to tell you just how wrong they were. Stick around. Well, who's elected president of Argentina might not be something that you pay a lot of attention to normally, but it's different this time because of who was just elected, or is it whom? Anyway, uh, his name is Javier Belay. Uh, Andre Martinez Fernando is a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation Center for Foreign Policy Studies, and he joins us now. Andre, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So why is this a big deal? Yeah, so Argentina, as you say, I think a lot of uh, Americans don't pay much attention to the politics. That's because it usually doesn't change much. It's been controlled by the left for uh, for the past few decades pretty much uninterruptedly. And uh, the reality is that now with Javier Millet, we have a pretty substantial change with, uh, <clears throat> with the recent elections. This is a, a candidate who uh, was compared to Trump and has a, actually compared himself uh, favorably to Trump uh, as a conservative firebrand, very much calling for, for transformation of what has been a left, uh, leftward-dominated country for, for several decades. So we see this, uh, this is particularly important because... You know, Argentina, in addition to being a one of several, you could say, leftist countries in Latin America, it's also one of the largest economies in the region, the third largest, actually, behind uh, 
Mexico and Brazil. And it's also been inviting a lot of these extra hemispheric uh, actors, such as China, Russia, and Iran, to, uh, to play an active part in our hemisphere. So it's really actively been undermining U.S. policy, U.S. interests in our own hemisphere. So this, now we see this shift with Javier Millet, who's actually been very uh, outward as far as his interest in aligning more closely with the United States. So it's, it's a, uh, an incredible opportunity that we have as a, as a country to really shift uh, Argentina into a, uh, a stance of alliance where it's been really particularly hostile uh, in the past. I, I, I'm trying to figure out um, what to compare this to if it would happen in the United States. And what I came up with is maybe Ron Paul being elected president uh, a couple of elections <laughs> ago. Would that be about the same? It could uh, it could be. I mean, he's, he's definitely, uh, Javier Milei has uh, some policies that uh, you could say about, you know, Ron Paul, uh, among his many policies were uh, abolishing the Fed. And in, in Argentina, he wants to abolish the central bank um, there. Now, there are different, there's a lot of differences between the Fed and, and the Argentine, uh, Argentine central bank. But um, certainly there's a, a, a lot in common as far as libertarian um, ideology. Uh, that is shared between those two individuals. But I, I think beyond that, you know, there's comparison of, to uh, to President Trump and uh, and his policies. Uh, so he, you know, he's he's also in addition to being uh, economically quite uh, cons- uh, libertarian, he's also pro-life. He's also pro-U.S. Um, and and very much uh, wants to limit connections with what he ties uh, terms communists. Uh, countries abroad, including China, uh, among those. So uh, there, there's, I would say there, there's some important differences between what we might think of as libertarian uh, ideology in the United States. Not, not too many people here in America, as you said, pay much attention to what happens in Argentina, and we don't really, at least I'm speaking for myself, I don't know what it's like there for the average voter and and how aware the citizens of Argentina are through the media and other uh, ways of what exactly is going on with their countries because, you know, for so long we've seen so many Latin American countries either be ruled forever by uh, some despot or the, or have a revolution every two weeks. Um, so <laughs> what what is – how does how does Argentina how – do how do the people, the voters there – compared to U.S. voters, and, and, and why does that make this even more of a bigger deal? Well, Democrat right now in Argentina, and, uh, and people, you know, people I think can identify with the challenges of inflation, uh, certainly, that we've, we've faced here. In Argentina, we're talking about inflation that's nearing about 150%. Uh, so uh, it, it's even much more, much more grave there, the, the economic situation. You know, Argentina was one, a few decades back, was one of the most prosperous uh, countries in Latin America. And now it's, it's uh, facing a 40% poverty rate, uh, which, is, uh, which is really dire. And you see a lot of people, this economic anxiety, uh, pull, pulling people towards uh, a political option that they normally wouldn't entertain in mm-hmm. Javier Millet. So this is an important uh, shift, and and you know this is the kind of thing that I think you could say is is underway uh, at a certain level in the United States, where economic anxiety is very uh, very much at play within the 
the framework of the upcoming elections here. Well, what you described uh, in Argentina, you, you, it, it almost sounds like what's been going on in Cuba for over 60 years. Why did the people of Argentina finally wake up? And how does it, you know, what's the difference? Yeah, well, uh, you know, one of the things is, is uh, thankfully, we there, there are still uh, free and fair elections in Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately in Cuba, uh, even, you know, I think it would be a pretty safe bet that if there were elections, we would see a change in power there, uh, just because of the gra- gravity of the situation. Um, but uh, thankfully, Argentines do have that path electorally to make a change uh, in, in their in their future and their country's uh, direction. Uh, you know, so I think that's that's really going to be the, the key factor here, and, and also the fact again that you know, Argentines I think have a certain level of uh, pride in in their history of being a particularly prosperous country. They identify themselves as uh, particularly uh, European as their heritage. Um, and, and I think this, this loss of economic progress that they've seen over the past several years, uh, is, is really one of the, one of the factors that has pushed them to, uh, to adopt this change and, and seek, seek a new direction. Is this, um, I, I think conservatives, uh, slash libertarians and Republicans in general are looking at, and especially Trump followers, are looking at this as a sign of a worldwide trend. One, you know, just one um, example. Is that uh, overestimating what happened down there? You know, it, it, I think uh, I think it really it's it's a tough time. You know, we have upcoming elections in Mexico, for example, which I, I think are going to be the next big ones that that we're going to be looking at uh, in the in the hemisphere, and, and they're uh, coinciding with the U.S. elections. There, uh, the, the uh, stars are kind of aligning for a continuation of a leftist in power there. Uh, so, I, you know, I think it's going to vary country by country. But when we see the, uh, the challenges as far as different uh, opportunities for these leaders, such as Malay, who are coming to power, um, we see that they're going to face a lot of challenges um, after coming into power to these countries where the left has really entrenched itself. So... You know, they're going to face a lot of challenges, and unfortunately the United States under the Biden administration um, has, has really not been a friend to conservative governments abroad. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a self-reinforcing challenge um, where the left wins elections, they take control of the institutions of government and all these uh, civil society institutions, and they make it tougher and tougher, even after an election goes another direction, to uh, to change back to a conservative direction, so it, it, it's going to be a tough challenge ahead. But if we see a change in the United States, uh, as well as some other elections um, coming up, uh, I, I do think we could see a uh, more positive direction as far as more pro-liberty, more conservative uh, governance abroad. There was a similar result in the Netherlands. Uh, they just elected a strong nationalist, a guy who's. Um, Really pushing back against the uh, the green, uh, the, their version of the Green New Deal, where the, where the farmers mm. they're trying to take farms away from the farmers, and he won and won big the same way that Malay did. Yeah, yeah. No, there there are definitely uh, definitely some bright spots as far as uh, people pushing back on some of the challenges uh, that have been ignored by by the left for too long that that are affecting uh, everyday people. Uh, and, and migration, uncontrolled migration, is certainly one of them. 
So, I, you know, I think it is, is certainly, you know, one of the consequences of, of having uh, the left in power uh, with, with very little checks on their, their ability to implement policy is that people realize the folly of what they're trying to do and how it actually makes their life, the lives of the people worse. So, so we do see that kind of swing back around. But again, it, it's going to be a challenge for, uh, for these leaders after they come to power to, uh, to backtrack a lot of these, these uh, negative policies that have been implemented in the past. We're talking to Andre Martinez-Fernando. He's a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Um, so any idea uh, how much, if any, help uh, Millet got from the Biden administration, or, did, or, or were, were they secretly hoping that he wouldn't win? Well, I, I'm pretty sure that they would have... Uh, Certainly, the Biden administration, I think, is going to be uh, would have been more comfortable with the status quo in a lot of ways uh, in Argentina. So the continuation of a leftist government, and, you know, it's it's an unfortunate reality. And we've seen even more active assistance and support from other leftist governments. For example, the uh, the Spanish government, which is under the control of the left, uh, actively uh, endorsed uh, the the leftist candidate in Argentina. And, and I think, you know, the challenges with the Biden administration now going forward is what level of resistance are we going to see to Javier Millet's uh, attempts to engage the United States? Um, you know, uh, we, we've seen a lot of calls from people proximate to the Biden administration saying, well, he's too conservative. He really needs to moderate his, uh, his rhetoric uh, or else he's going to get resistance for example, on issues like climate change, and, and that's going to undermine the whole efforts to, uh, to bring the U.S. and Argentina closer together and cooperate more. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's exactly the wrong uh, stance. This is a, a leader that is pro-United States, is hostile or, or at least um, uh, skeptical of China and its ambitions in the hemisphere and wants to be an ally. Uh, and, and, you know, too, uh, fortunately, too often that's uh, that's not enough for the Biden administration. So, again, I do think, you know, it's going to the, the future of Malay and conservative governance in, in the region and, and more broadly is going to depend on having a more uh, friendly and receptive U.S. administration. So if, if Trump would become president in 2025, uh, Javier uh, Malay is going to be uh, should be one of his buddies and they should be promoting him uh, like crazy. I think I think there's going to be a lot of common ground if uh, if we see that result. And actually, uh, Millet has, has invited President Trump to his inauguration, um, and and has really been actively engaging uh, conservatives in the United States. I think there's a lot of common ground. We even saw Tucker Carlson heading down to uh, to Argentina a few weeks back to to interview Javier Millet. Um, so again, this is I I do think there's a lot of uh, natural alliances that he would have with the Republican leadership um, uh, under a new administration going forward. I think this is uh, um, really interesting for people who really despise socialism and fear that uh, it keeps creeping into the uh, United States. Because, from what I understand, uh, the, this is this, Malay got more votes than anybody's ever gotten for president there. The people voted for less government, even though they depend so much on government because it is a socialist country. 
And like one in four people I saw work for the government, yet they still voted that they want less government. That that should be a good sign to conservatives everywhere, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. It, it's it's encouraging that even in a country where, again, the left has entrenched itself so deeply um, that that people eventually will come up, wake up, and, and recognize that that the direction that they're going in. Uh, is unsustainable, and they're they're losing their prosperity, the future of the, for their children um, uh, under under the direction a lot of these leftists have uh, have taken with their uh, with their country. So uh, I, I definitely take it as a as a positive sign. I, I hope uh, we don't need to see uh, that level of uh, economic chaos uh, in in other countries to uh, to have people wake up though. Well, I, hope, I hope we don't reach 150 in percent in inflation. A, in a yeah. Uh, so, how long will he be in power? How long is his term? There's going to be four years. Okay. So, uh, with a possibility for uh, for reelection there, but it's it's a challenge, uh, definitely within within any uh, window of governance to particularly to turn around this government, uh, this economic situation. Uh, he's going to face a lot of challenges again. Uh, and we still have, in particular in the Congress there, a, um, uh, a lot of these leftists still in control. So he's gonna, he's gonna have a lot of challenges as far as, uh, implementing his agenda, particularly some of the, the more, uh, quote unquote radical, uh, policies, such as, uh, reforming, uh, monetary and the central bank, uh, situation there. Well, it's good to see, uh, he's a little bit of a maniac, which I kind of like. He's a wild man. And he at least uh, is worth watching, isn't he? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think it's definitely a country worth watching. And uh, and for for Washington, I, I hope it's a country that uh, that we're actively looking at how we can engage with uh, and support. Because again, uh, this this is a government that is is one of the few coming into power now, which is friendly to the United States, and we really need to. To preserve that wherever we can. But I hope he does well, and the other countries down there go to school on him a little bit. I, I, then you know, it would be nice to see other countries figure it out. I appreciate you coming on the yeah. show, uh, Andre. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you again. That's Andre Martinez Fernando. We'll be right back. Hey, remember back in 2021 when Major League Baseball caved into the media and the Democrats and moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta and then played it in Denver? It was, it was a gigantic case of virtue signaling, and they couldn't have been more wrong. Horace Cooper is the chairman of Project 21 Black Leadership Network. He joins us now. Horace, thanks for coming on again. Hey, it's always a pleasure to come on the program. So how wrong were they? Well, they devastated the uh, small business um, environment in Atlanta. In fact, in the greater Atlanta area, there were um, uh, businesses all over the state. And many of them, because of where it was located, happened to be minority. Those individuals put uh, out, took out loans, uh, acquired inventory, had saved up so that they could uh, tap into this amazing opportunity, and it was snatched away based solely on a lie. I don't see a big rush uh, of any apologies uh, from anybody about it. 
Other than the well, fact that they're putting the game back there, that's that says enough, I guess. That says we were wrong. But yeah. if you really are wrong, you acknowledge that you're wrong, and you make up for it. You know, the President of the United States lied about Georgia. Uh, Major League Baseball lied about Georgia. A number of internationally recognized corporations lied about Georgia when it came to voting. And yet, on Election Day, twice since then, what have we seen? Record numbers of minorities, as well as other Americans uh, of other races, showing up to vote in the state. The truth is, don't go to Georgia if you're looking to cheat. But it has nothing to do about your race. If you're looking to cheat on Election Day, they've changed the rules, and it's not going to happen. Major League Baseball ought to have been championing that just like we don't want cheating in the Super Bowl or the All-Star Game, we don't want cheating on the Election Day. Shame on Major League Baseball for taking the game in the first place and then sort of sneaking back without admitting that it was a, a lie and a smear against the people of Georgia to start with. It's amazing how these kinds of decisions by entities like Major League Baseball and corporations, they're quick to virtue signal, or what they consider to be virtue signaling, uh, on one side, but they never do it for the other. It's yeah, always uh, one side. So, it's always on that side. So the whole thing about being a woke scold, and that's these progressives that think they know better than everyone else, is that you always attack mainstream America. You always attach, attack the center and the right of America, and you always embrace the radical left of America. These woke scolds made up out of whole cloth because they don't like the fact that cheating is harder to do on Election Day in Georgia. That's what they were upset about, and they're also upset about the idea that any person, any person, regardless of what their status is, shouldn't have to ever show that they're a legal resident, that they're actually not an illegal immigrant, uh, that they're not in, sitting in a prison in order to vote. They were upset about those things, and shame on MLB and a number of these other corporations that just sort of joined in, as you call it, virtue signaling, while hurting minorities in the profit. And it's it's also obvious that people like uh, Manfred, who's the commissioner of Major League Baseball, they he knew the minute that he made that proclamation that the game was going to be moved, that the media would be slobbering all over him and Major League Baseball, and they'd be getting praise from every corner of the media for being so courageous and standing up for the rights of uh, the uh, oppressed, because that's what happened. That is what happened. And, and it happened despite the fact that they moved it to a location with one of the smallest minority <laughs> populations in the country, yep. where fewer, far fewer businesses that were owned by minorities were able to participate. They got all the praise, they got all the celebration, and again, I just want to mention... Our president joined in in this when oh, yeah. it was completely unjust, uh, completely unfair, and it was a smear. Um, and what 
uh, we're talking to uh, Horace Coopers, the chairman of Project 21 Black Leadership Network. Um, what was it about the Georgia law that had Democrats so upset or thought that they should be upset about? The law itself now requires the kind of identification uh, that is helpful in making sure that real people are voting. It also ensures that if you're asking for an absentee ballot, that you demonstrate that you're an actual living resident of Georgia. And instead of having voting for the whole year, I'm exaggerating just a little, Mm -hmm. it is a voting period. Now, uh, a discrete, specific time for people to go and vote. So even if they can't go on Election Day, there's some time before Election Day. What the left wants is literally um, register to vote on elect- when you go to vote, show no proof of evidence when you go to vote, and they want to turn in ballots of people that they say are registered and have those counted. What Georgia did was say, no, no, we're not doing that anymore. Well, let me tell you about something that happened here in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, and I, this is, I don't know if I, I hope I get this right, but um, last week a federal court ruled that here in Pennsylvania, mail-in ballots would no longer have to be dated. Um, uh, liberals claimed uh, that requiring the ballots to be dated somehow disenfranchises minorities. Now, as you know, I think, I, I'm not a minority. I'm a white guy. And I would think that if I were the per- if I were the person that they were protecting, saying that they were protecting me from, uh, they would be telling me that I don't know what day it is. I, I don't know. I think I'd be kind of insulted by that. So, um, they would definitely insult me that only black people right. don't know what day it is, right? Or only Hispanics don't know what day it is. That is extremely insulting. The truth of the matter is, they want the ability to gather these election documents year-round and then turn them in just before an election and not have people ask a question, who is this person? Have they died? Are they still residents? This is a... uh, uh, I saw this ruling. I was very disappointed by the federal court. Yeah, now you guys at the National Center for uh, Public Policy Research addressed uh, all this in a series... It's called What Election Reform Does for Black America. First of all, I guess the question would be, um, why would you why would you have to specify what it does for black America? Does that mean that too many people assume that election reform actually harms black Americans? So too many people assume we need election reform to protect black America. Mm-hmm. And so we put together this um, monogram so that we can explain how most of what is done in the name of election reform, not everything, but most of what is done actually disenfranchises black Americans. If you let more ghost voters vote, then the people who live in the community, let's take Atlanta, end up not getting to decide who the mayor is or who their city council members are or what who their state senator or state uh, delegate uh, uh, representative is going to be. If you let convicts decide to vote, again, you disenfranchise blacks. If you let illegals vote, you disenfranchise blacks. Black Americans, like white Americans, want less taxes, not more taxes. 
They want more right to be able to make decisions about their day, not less. They want uh, more control, not more government control. And yet, if you let these ghost votes in, what you'll get are the policies of greater manipulation, greater denial of your freedoms, and higher taxes and greater regulation. We explain in this monogram that that's not good for black America because it's not good for any American. But how are they getting away with making, um, the first of all, the media, I guess, um, sell that, that, that blacks are still, their votes are still being suppressed? You hear it every day. Somebody says it, um, and they say it with a, a look on their face like they, they're just so angry and, and hurt that this is happening, and boy, that we really got to help these people. And uh, how, how do you fight against that? It's just it's everywhere. Now you're fighting well, against reason, it, but that's the reason for our monogram, right. so that we can show people how, uh, the, in the name of election reform, they're disenfranchising. I'll give another example. There's a huge push on the part of progressives to allow non-citizens to vote. Oh. They say. It's just in local elections. Yeah. They say it's just maybe in nonpartisan elections. But they're not demonstrating, A, how they're separating out, and they aren't explaining to the rest of us why is a non-citizen having any say over any aspect of public <laughs> policy. If I go to Australia, if I go to the United Kingdom, if I go to France, even if I stay for nine weeks, I don't get a, a say in public policy. Why are we doing that here? Well, let me tell you what that means for black Americans. That means this illegal immigrant population, their priorities are going to supersede your priorities. Let's not forget that today, black Americans are no longer the second largest minority. They're the third largest minority. If you continue with the illegal immigration that the president is authorizing and allowing, you could have a separate category of just illegals that rival the size of the black population. This is not good for black America. It is pushing black America to the back of the political bus the same way it's pushing actual Americans and their interests to the back of the political bus. And is that being, um, are we seeing the, the results of that maybe in uh, places like New York City where blacks are really pushing back on the city government for how they're taking care of the illegal immigrants over them? You are seeing it in Chicago. You're seeing it in New York City. You're even beginning to see it in Philadelphia. Black Americans who are residents of the country and who've been paying their taxes are wondering, why is the school taking the teacher that's trying to help my kid who is having a little bit of a reading disability and saying, sorry, we don't have time for them because we've got to have deep English language instruction or we're just instructing in a foreign language these other individuals. All sorts of city and, and local government programs that are uh, a part of the social um, network of supporting Americans when they have difficulties, those programs are being raided so that they can fund 
support for illegals. Look what's happening in New York City. They're actually now having the smallest police force in more than two decades, and it's going to get smaller so that they can continue to fund uh, the sanctuary city needs. This isn't good for black America because it's not good for America. And, uh, Horace, I'm, I've seen uh, polls that show uh, that uh, black men especially are really uh, starting to lean toward Trump. I don't know if that's leaning toward Republicans or just leaning toward Trump. And I don't know how much you know uh, confidence I should have in the polls and when it comes to any of this stuff. But what do you make of that? Well, first of all, uh, Project 21 is a nonpartisan organization. So um, we want the most conservative person elected, whoever that individual might be. But the second observation is, and if you looked at my book, How Trump is Making Black America Great Again, what you would see is there is a huge gender gap among black Americans. Black men in particular are more likely to have their own uh, company business, lawn care, um, delivery services, uh, assembly services, all manner of uh, these sort of uh, jobs that are not uh, more traditional where you are an employee at some place. And they recognize that when you have the government, more of the effort and, uh, and activity that you undertake is seized as taxes. The whole push toward union membership does nothing for the small business owner. So this gender gap is even wider in the black community than it is in, excuse me, in the black community than it is in the rest of the country. And in particular, it is greater than it is among white men and white women. If 2022 had been just counting black men, not only would the United States Senate been uh, picked up by the Republicans, probably a four-Senate seat pickup, there have been more than a 25- or 30-seat House pickup. A real difference, that gender gap. Well, you also wrote a book uh, called Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans, and we've talked to you about that before. Amount of time today. I'm sure we'll talk to you about that again between now and next November. I appreciate you coming on, Horace. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that's Horace Cooper, Project 21. His book is Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Joe Biden's Policies Hurt Black Americans. I'll be right back. Well, how about some Steeler Monday? i got a minute or two left here. I wanted to address the... Uh, the Kenny Pickett thing. I watched the game yesterday. The offense obviously looked better. Uh, he threw for 278 yards. The offense uh, had 400 total yards, which is something they hadn't done in something like 58 games. But I'm, I'm noticing some some typical stupidity. Sorry to use that word. Um, you know, everybody knows that they, they went with a new offensive coordinator. And everybody, not everybody, but way too many people are looking at it like, okay, they got rid of the um, offensive coordinator, and then they got 400 yards. Therefore, it was all about getting rid of the offensive coordinator. Here's the problem with that, okay? Yesterday, I'm looking at the stats here, Kenny Pickett was 24 for 33 for 278 yards and no touchdowns. Now, uh, last week against Cleveland, he was 15 for 28 for 106 yards 
no touchdowns. So here's a little, just a, I don't know, it's a minor detail, I know. But Cincinnati has one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I saw it yesterday. They put it up on the screen, the graphic. They're like, they're ranked 32nd in a couple of categories, 30th, 29th. And Cleveland is right up there at the top, first, second, third, and all the important categories. So it's a typical example of fans doing it is one thing, but you hate to see the media do it. Fans tend to look at a game or the results of a game and base everything only on what their team did or didn't do, and they give no, not just credit, but not even acknowledgement to the fact that there's another team out there that has something to do with how your team is doing or did. So let's just wait a little bit. They went from one week playing one of the worst defenses or one of the best defenses in the league to playing one of the worst defenses in the league. In between, they fired the um, offensive coordinator. You know, maybe it helped firing the offensive coordinator, but could you please take into account at least a little bit the fact that there was another team on the field in both games. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.